Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by Rob Blanchett, talking all things Manchester United, after a positive weekend performance and win over Wolves, United looking better for their top four finish, but still being pushed to the very end by the looks by Liverpool and Brighton. We'll talk about a little bit about that performance, but we'll, we'll do some looking ahead on today's show. We'll talk some transfers. We'll talk midfields. We'll talk United's new star boy. Is that what we can call him, Rob? What, what's, what's the terminology here? I, I like Wonder Kid still because I think the generic nature of that means you can move it on player to player. Wonder Kid. Alejandro Garnacho is the one that we're, we're discussing. At the top of the show, subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods, Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes, and watch us on YouTube twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays we run. Like, subscribe, leave a comment for us on the channel as well, and please give us a five-star review on those audio platforms. Find us on Twitter as well, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show. Like I say, we will talk Garnacho. We'll talk a little bit of Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, actually, as well, because since we recorded our last show, the uh, the comments that he did or didn't make <laughs> have, mm. uh, have emerged from uh, an evening with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, where he revealed some interesting stuff about the Glazers, Erling Haaland, uh, the squad, etc., etc., and he was presented right in front of Rob at Old Trafford for the Wolves game. Was it good to see him, Rob? Yes, no. Like uh, again, I think I'm one of those football fans, certainly Man United fans, maybe lack some sentiment around history. Like, yeah, Ole's a hero and all of these things, but he is also the former manager from most recent time. I think Manchester United's idea of parading him or putting him out, shaking people's hands, you know, you know, kissing babies' heads and stuff like that at that, this moment when we're going for a top four finish, maybe a little bit misplaced. But, you know, Ollie's always going to be welcome at a football club, isn't he? You know, he is a legend. He's the guy that scored that goal in 1999. Um, but his comments are very interesting in the sense of it kind of confirms a few things that we reported a while ago on Manchester United. Um, but, um, yeah, some, some of it, not particularly savoury. You could say some of it, Ollie, is your fault, you know, saying that things were like they were. So uh, we'll try and add some balance to that today. Let's start with a look back at Saturday's win over Wolves, a 2-0 victory, Anthony Martial scoring a tap-in. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about Garnaccio in a second. I just want to bring up Anthony because mm. you were there. I thought he was re- like, he frustrates the life out of a lot of fans, doesn't he? Mm. But to me, and I made this, like, this is a very dangerous comparison to make, right? But I remember, and he's, he's a lot older than he was at the time when he arrived. But mm. when Cristiano Ronaldo rocked up Old Trafford, he could not mm. finish his dinner. He was very much not the finished article. Yes, he was about five years younger. But if Anthony improves his decision-making, if he makes the right choices, his numbers go up drastically, don't they? 
Completely. And I, and I think the thing is, is that for 90 odd million, you'd like to maybe say buy more than raw talent. But what we're seeing from Anthony is the same trajectory of the play that was moving upwards at Ajax. It, this is nothing new. Like I think people bought him and thought, yeah, here's a guy that's going to give us all our goals and assists this year from a wide area. And it's like, well, no, that's not really what he is. But I'm with you. I thought he was our best player on the day. I really do. I think I think on the day, he was the player with the progressive mindset of, I'm going to win the ball. I'm going to fight. I'm going to push past the last man and I'm going to get into areas to create. Now, I do think that Anthony's big problem still remains is that final ball and that final decision. But as you said, that's kind of like, we used to talk about Cristiano like that all the time. It was like, stop doing the lollipops, kid. Yeah. And make sure that you get the final ball straight. And what happened with Ronaldo? He kind of went the other way, didn't he? He was like, no, I'm going to become a finisher. So he became a finisher. He still wasn't the greatest creator in the world. You know, even when he was at his pomp at Manchester United. So, I'm I'm not low on Anthony at all. I think that he had a really good game and he's going to be a massive part of this running. You know, these last few games now, you look at some of the injuries United have got, you look at maybe the shape of the team. Anthony's performances will be a big part of this because if he can conform to this standard, Scott, then then you're in a good place. You know, if one of your forwards is playing like he is at the moment, you feel better than than worse. I still understand why United fans get on him about the final ball and all of this, but you just have to have some patience. You just it's have to. Let, season. Yeah, it's you have to. Season. You have to let the manager work with the player over a period of time to get him to where you want him to be. What I like is the raw talent is absolutely present. You know, and he's not a bust. Like people saying he's a bust and all of this for your first season at Manchester United. I think he's done all right. He's not a bust, obviously. And you you mentioned there he's got the raw talent. That is obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not to everyone, but he does. Also, what backs that up is the effort that he puts in, tracking totally. back. Sometimes we, we've seen it where it hasn't happened, but I think that's maybe a general squad attitude thing where that, that will develop when Eric Ten Hag manages to, to mold the squad into his image a little bit more over the, over the summer and this kind of mm-hmm. thing. We know that they have personality issues as a squad as it is, but Anthony works backwards. That run where he transitioned from his own box all the way, ran the long way around, picked the wrong pass at the end. And there was a couple of occasions, and there's been a lot of occasions this season where he's picked the wrong pass or made the wrong decision or shot when he should have passed. But the raw materials are there. Uh, People look at him and they judge him for the price that United actually paid when they could have bought him two months earlier for two-thirds of that price. (laughs) Uh, And that's United's fault. It's not his fault. Completely. Uh, He said uh, to Manchester United's monthly magazine, I feel like I've settled in and grown accustomed to the city. There are quite a few Brazilians here. Me and Casemiro are always hanging out. We're always doing something. I've settled into the city and I'm loving life here. I hope I can spend a long time. You know, it, it seems like he's settling in. It's good to see. And he offers balance like nobody else on that right hand side. I think that is. We talk about Jaden Sancho being the answer hmm. when uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wanted Jaden Sancho to fill that void on the right-hand side that United hadn't filled since, uh, you know, Ronaldo Valeva. left, probably. Yeah, Antonio Valencia was brought in as his replacement, wasn't he? But yeah. Anthony is a fixture there, and it's just about gradual improvements. If he starts to make those gradual improvements, we'll see an absolutely massive improvement in numbers, I think. 
And that bit where he went on the outside, Scott, was almost, almost the most thrilling moment of the season for me. Like when he knocked it past those two players and got his head down and went for it, it had that tiny bit of end product or, you know, he kind of like ran out of oxygen as he got towards the top end of the pitch. And you thought, just slide that ball across because it's a tap in or it's a clean shot. And of course, what does he want to do? He always wants to put it on his left. He always wants to put it in the top corner. So he needs to kind of deprogram some of those things. But I think it's worth also noting there. I'm glad you put those comments about how he's settling in. Because as he said recently, you know, he's a boy from a favela, right? From the poorest of the poor, right? He totally gets what's happening to him in his career. He understands it. He appreciates it. He wants to be part of this. He's a boy joining a working-class football club. And I know people might think that that's not true about Manchester United, the most glamorous club in the universe. But he's coming to Manchester, and these are the people that he plays in front of. This is the truth. So I think that there's a connection there, and it will work well for him in the future because, yes, there's always that, that glamour stage at Old Trafford, and that's there for you. But the roots of the boy are what matters. And I think he gets it. I really do. And I think that he will continue to improve. He'll work on himself. And we've had way too many big-time Charlies come to Manchester United in the last time, 10 years and think it's a cakewalk. I don't believe that about Anthony. I think he's worked really hard this season. And because of that, I'm willing to give him time. You just said about Jaden there. No offence to Jaden because it's not, it's not really a comment about him. But he's a different type kind of player, isn't he? That Jaden is more kind of short passing, short skills, movement, all of those things. But Anthony in the Premier League could be a fundamental weapon for Man United in the next year or two because he's got pace, he's got energy. He can go on the outside, he can go on the inside. And I think there's a lot more to come. You mentioned big time Charlie's there in a negative sense. I'm going to use that about Alejandro Garnacho because I actually think he he might feel like he is a bit of a big time Charlie, but he actually backs it up, you know. And I think yeah. that it, we want to talk about him. He's the first topic on the on the agenda, you know. Out with injury, comes on twelve minutes, is decisive, direct, composure raw speed, agility, he's smart as well. He need, of course, he needs to develop as well, but he's a, still a teenager, just signed a new long-term deal, probably for a hell of a lot more money. He's got a new set of gnashes. He dyed his hair blonde. He's tattooed, got tattoos all over his body. You know, this lad, I, I don't want to go over the top, but he might be the real deal. And he yeah. knows it. <laughs> Garnashes, Garnashes, the blonde bombshell. That's who he is. Um, I think the thing with Garnashes quite interesting is that there is this kind of thing about him that he is like a bit big headed and all of this. And I think sometimes confidence gets mislabeled as that because I actually don't think he's a big time Charlie. I actually think that he is generally uh, a guy that's done really well, worked hard behind the scenes to refine his game and get into the first team. And that was always something that was fed back to us from around the club. I know there was that story at the start of the season where people talked about attitude and got, and the manager had a problem with that. But again, we heard many, many countering things to that. So that wasn't particularly the truth, was that the manager just wanted him to focus on certain parts of his game. That's normal. So I think when you see this guy, even when he warms up, Scott, right? And again, I don't know if this translates to the TV screen. But when he warms up and runs towards the Stratford end, the connection between him and the crowd is unique. You know, I don't know if I've seen it like for a young player, maybe since Cristiano. And in fact, when Cristiano was that age, he didn't get that kind of love. I think when you look at Garnacho, 
it's all about production, isn't it? It's like he came off for 12 minutes and he won you the game. He put the game to bed. And that moment wasn't a moment of relief when the ball went in the net because that's what I was expecting if United got a late goal. That's how I was feeling. When he put it in the back of the net, in the way that he put it in, it was a moment of joy. And this is what this boy can provide. He's going to be a joy machine for Manchester United if they can keep developing him. And this is why I said, start the season, I'm going to keep repeating myself. This is why at 18, I was like, get this boy in the first team because he's just an unbridled talent and you need to get him playing more minutes. So I don't think he'll start games coming into the end of the season now, but he's certainly going to feature. This was going to be my question. Is he is he better off the bench at the moment? Just be, Just because of that... Obviously, you know, United won that game at the weekend uh, mm. and they needed to. They, they'll they need to, they'll need seven points. Prob- well, we say six to guarantee top four, but as we as we say, Brighton are, Brighton Flying. could feasibly, mm. if Man City have the title wrapped up, they could beat Man City even. Yeah. So if Brighton win their last few games, I think they, they'd go up to 72 points potentially. So that makes United have to win their final three if Brighton win all their final four. Um. Is Garnacho, especially we don't know what's happening with Marcus Rashford at the moment. Jaden Sancho is in there. Like he just immediately looked a lot more effective than Jaden Sancho, which is a challenge for Sancho, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is Garnacho better off the bench, do, do you think, in this moment? I wouldn't, I, yeah, look, I think that as it stands, and you're, you're, you've got this little mini title running for yourself, which the title is obviously top four. If you can get there, that's your objective done. I still think that there are players in front of Garnacho who should take that responsibility. More senior players, players who you should bank on more rather than less, whether they're playing well or not. You really should put the, the onus at their door. So if you start with, say, Sancho on the left because Sancho is still one of your primary players, slightly older, obviously, than Garnacho, then it makes sense that Garnacho comes off the bench. But that's not how the future will be. Like I think what we're talking about now is that this is a guy who's coming back from injury, and you don't want to, a recurrence of that injury. You don't want to run him into the ground too early, but you need to use him off the bench in a more kind of progressive way. That's the way I look at it. So he got those 12 minutes, and I think there was every chance to bring him on a little bit earlier. You know, so... Uh, I, I think the thing is that because he's young, the manager is going to manage those minutes as a manager should do. But also at the same time, Garnacho has to be a big part of this last few games because he's the spark. He's the guy that can give you something that a lot of these other guys just don't seem to be able to. Like on the day, Scott, like there was a lot of feedback after people kind of moaning about Martial. And you think, well, actually, Martial got the goal. So like he, he did his job that day. He put the ball in the net. Yeah, it was a tap-in, but it was all part of it. People moan about Anthony because of the end product. You're like, well, actually, was Anthony was our best player. Like, I don't really get it. And it's the same with Garnacho. Someone said, oh, he actually didn't really do a lot in that 12 minutes except score. That's the most what? important thing. <laughs> and the thing that Man United have been really bad at recently and really bad at without Marcus Rashford in the team. So this is why anyone who can give you that value in the penalty box or around it, that finish, Scott, was sensational that he did because he had that much room between the goalkeeper's hand and the post. And he knew he had to play in off the post for the ball to go in the net. And he curled it, put, opened his body up and he looked. He didn't just fire it, which a lot of these guys would have done. 
You know, Jaden had a chance earlier in the game, and Jaden just put his goalkeeper foot played it. great. By the way, obviously, I know. obviously, an unknown goalkeeper comes to Old Trafford and has an absolute stormer. Just to... and it's like, <laughs> fortunately, it's... United have managed to score twice. It's like we've written this a million times, isn't it? Unknown player has stormer against Manchester United, and United don't get what they want. So you know, we've seen that before. That story plays out a lot at United. Um, but yeah, Garnacho, he is going to be a superstar. And I am definitely leaning towards the fact that maybe even next season, he should be the number seven. I think he's big enough to wear the shirt. I don't think it will bother him. And I think he deserves it because it won't be long, I think, until he's an automatic starter. Like, that's the way I look at it. And I look at that for a lot of these young kids, Scott. Garnacho's proving it. I believe it about Manu. I believe Manu will be a starter sooner rather than later. I really believe that. And I think when you look at these young kids, integrate them earlier. Give them responsibility earlier. But also... Give them the chance to make mistakes and to be part of your rotation and for them to be, be develop more naturally and more organically. Have you seen on uh, Garnacho's new ink that there's a, I think it's a dad and his son and the son is wearing a seven on his back. <laughs> Have you seen that image going No, on? no, no. What is well, it? But, uh, no, there's, a, there's a, an image of a kid wearing a number seven shirt tattooed yeah. on Garnacho, I believe. It's been going around on social the last few days. And that you've you've robbed it from my list of questions. So well, isn't Garnacho's user handle, isn't it Garnacho7? Might be, you know. Let me check. I think it is. I think might, it's always been. Because he played be. as a seven as a kid. So like he he when he was in the um, in the reserve. Garnacho seven, yes. Yes, it is. So there you go. Some forthcoming for uh, Nostradamus type predictions on numbers. Um I think uh, I think the boy will be the number seven eventually. I don't see Jaden being the number seven now. Like we we, we said at the start of the season, Jaden should have the number, and yeah. it's kind of proved why he hasn't got the number. So I think you're going to have to give it to someone. It might be a new signing, but I'd be more than happy for him to to take that number on and for to be the long term seven. It's a good show of faith, isn't it? You give a kid like that, you're giving him a big contract, you're giving them the big number, and you say you're going to play a lot of minutes for us, but you know do your work behind the scenes. So. Yeah, uh, Garnacho 7, uh, I you know, AG7, I can see it all now. I can see the tattoos. There's going to be a lot more tattoos of his face on Man United fans. Let's, uh, let's move to Oli then. Mm. Now, an evening with Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, I believe is what it was, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, for, for an audience uh, at the Mercure Manchester Piccadilly Hotel on mm. Friday evening. So these quotes came out on Saturday morning when uh, the people who weren't there had the chance to write up whatever he'd said. A couple of big talking points. Let's start with Erling Haaland. Insisted he tried to persuade United to sign Erling Haaland when he was a teenager, when he was at Mulder. Now he said, I got in contact with United because we had this talented striker who they should have had, but they didn't listen, unfortunately. Four million I asked for, but they never signed him. Four million! Don't ask where he is now. He's too good. Erling Haaland. Uh, we, yeah. We've spoken on previous episodes about United also passing for four million on Moises Caicedo. If they'd have done those two deals, maybe their pass to the first team would have been different because, <laughs> uh, you know, United haven't had a great record in previous, in really, really recent years since like, you know, 2019 of developing the kind of prospects that Garnacho is now that her, that Haaland has become, that Caicedo has become. But if they're good enough, they're old enough. 
right? So interesting uh, that United didn't go for Haaland. Do you think they'd make the same mistake this time if they were presented the same situation? Have they changed? Jury's out. <laughs> the jury is very, very, very much out. Uh, I think the whole thing about Haaland is, again, everyone knew about him a long time ago. This is not new. Like him turning up at Man City and scoring a load of goals is not new. And when he went to Dortmund, it wasn't new. Everyone was saying in that period from Salzburg and being part of the Red Bull development system of what this boy is and what he was going to become. It wasn't difficult. Four million quid was the most easy decision any recruitment team should ever have made because he was easy money. Like I can see with Consado, there was still a little bit like, well, we don't really want a development project at this time, so we don't want to sign him now. But Harlan would have been so easy to bring into your to bring into your back room to be able to develop him. And, and get him before he went out on the open market. When he went to Dortmund, there were still talks there about Manchester United being the team, but they didn't want to enter that, that contract where there was some kind of release clause. And I get that. I understand that. But you missed your chance before that, lads. Like, you missed it a while ago while Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was telling you there's this lad at Mulder who's going to grow and get even bigger and stronger and faster and doesn't miss the target. So... A bit of a sickener, but I think that does happen in football. You know, uh, Arsene Wenger will tell you about his op- missed opportunity to sign Cristiano Ronaldo when when he had the chance to and they couldn't get it over the line. And it happens a lot in football. You know, it happened with Roy Keane when he was young and coming to United with other clubs wanting him. Um, some you win, some you don't. But I think it is indicative of how bad United have been recruitment-wise. Like, you could have got this wonder kid, uh, you know, early. To be fair... They did it with Garnacho. So they got Garnacho. Garnacho's not a, a 12-year-old Mancunian coming to Manchester United. This is a boy playing his football in Spain for his local club in Atletico, a Madrid-born boy. And United went, we're going to go and get him. And now here we are, what, three years on? And we're talking about Garnacho's being the next magnificent seven. So th- there's, there's always going to be hits and misses, isn't there, Scott? But I think ultimately with Haaland... You could have gone and done that deal. And the right people were saying the right things. And it's 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 ancient history. Like, United know this. Ollie also spoke about dressing room differences between his day yeah. in the 99 team and beyond and before. Joining the summer of 96, didn't he? Was it the summer of 96? Yes, I think. yeah. 95, 96. I, I remember watching... Uh, remember on VHS, they used to do those, like, monthly review... Uh, I think it was hosted by like M- Rob McCaffrey or something <laughs> like that. God, you're uh, old, Scott. <laughs> yeah, God, I'm old. VHS, remember... there'll, be, there'll be some of our, our audience here going, what's VHS stand for? What is a VHS? If 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 you're listening and you're you're watching on YouTube or something like that, go, and you, or if you're not, go to the YouTube comments and tell us if you know what VHS is. Uh, because that was how I... That was, I think, obviously, I saw it on TV, but I would have, you know buy them on VHS, they're only about eleven ninety nine or something like that. And you get like a full hour's worth of like Man United's review uh, and highlights of the matches from the month before. Yeah. And I think Ollie, he scored twice on his debut against Blackburn. I think he did in yeah, 96. I think, so. I, think yeah. I think that was uh, maybe not his debut. Might have been, but mm. I can't remember. Memory's fuzzy. Anyway, uh, he joined in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s, won everything in 99. Managed the club in the late 20-teens and beyond. And uh, said this. 
the lads in that dressing room were absolutely fantastic. Kino was the leader. No one everyone looked up to. David May was the joker, the clown. Gary Neville is still the busiest and was the busiest back then as well. Nicky Button Giggsy were the entertainers. It was a fantastic dressing room. Winners who hated losing. They had a few fights like you should do after bad games. You had to shake each other up. If you do that to the boys now, they'll get their dad or their mum or their agents. Not many of today's lot would have survived in that dressing room. Interesting. Because you mentioned, Rob, that, well, Ollie led that dressing room and fostered that? Is that fair? Psychology-wise, psychology-wise, the word is enabled. So he enabled a lot of that culture at Manchester United. And I think, again, it's we don't want to rewrite history, but we were moving from a period with Jose where Jose was more tough love. Jose was much more hardline. Jose was like name and shame. Like I'm going to sit in my press. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi or seven up all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Uh, and tell everyone that my players are rubbish and then like deal with that afterwards with the fallout. Ole was the opposite guy. Ole was the blue sky thinker. Ole was the like oh, well, this is awful, but there's these perfectly beautiful bits as well, you know, and this is how it goes. So Ole was always a little bit more of a hand around the shoulder guy. He also, though, was really known, again, I think behind the scenes and away from the camera, as being quite strict in method, you know, that he kind of wanted his players to conduct themselves in a certain way, came straight back, didn't he? Made them all put on suits, did that kind of stuff, had an idea of what Manchester United is and wanted to kind of apply that. But I think now, saying all these years later that, you know, that like that comment, it kind of, for me, it, it's the kind of what I would call the old fart comment. And it, again, comparing the a current generation that they're not as able or whatever as, a, as an older generation because we used to have punch-ups in the dressing room. Like, it's a little bit like moot for me. So, um, yeah, Ole, Ole created that culture at United. And I think for, for a period it worked. I think they needed a bit of love from someone who would look after them and, and fight their corner, certainly more than the previous manager did. Um, but to say it now and compare it to maybe the old school guys from the 90s doesn't really work for me. That comment there about agents on one thing or another I understand that but football as a, as a as a sport has enabled that culture you know they've made 17 and 18 year old Scott multi-millionaires before they've done anything in the game so we just talked about Garnacho with a big contract you know back in the day you had to be really good to get any money you know you really had to be kind of a winner a title winner so I, yeah I get what they're saying but again I think mistimed I'm I'm not overly not overly interested in that kind of opinion because he was a big enabler of that dressing room to be as they were. Any other comments on Ollie or should we move on? No, there was obviously, look, there was a word used, wasn't there, that we haven't used there. Obviously, he, he described them uh, reportedly, is the word I'm going to use, as snowflakes. And I don't think that's particularly nice. You know, I think there are different connotations around that word. 
Um, there is some kind of debate about actually whether he did say it or not. Some places are reporting it. Other places are saying that he didn't say it. Um, but if he did use that word, it's it's kind of, again, a cultural thing, isn't it? Again, showing that there's this this old view of the world. And if you care about anything or you have a different opinion to stuff, that you're a snowflake. Well, again, let's keep that out of football because I think that kind of politics doesn't really have any place in our world. Final topic of the day. Uh, large one. Midfield in general. Now, <clears throat> we know that United have a favoured midfield three of... Well, I say midfield three. Bruno Fernandes can pop up anywhere. Uh, but Casemiro, Christian Eriksen, and Bruno Fernandes. Marcel Sabitzer was signed in January after Christian mm. Eriksen was injured. The cover was used. Eriksen's now back. And the cover is injured. So Marcel Sabitzer will miss the remainder of the season. Man United have confirmed meniscus injury for Sabitzer on loan from Bayern Munich will not, as it stands play for Man United again. There is no buy option in the deal. Sabitzer, uh, you know, I think United's uh, medical staff are speaking to Bayern's medical staff and they'll figure out how best they go about making helping him recover. United have themselves put out a statement saying that the season's over for him, wishing the best in his recovery. As yet, there is no confirmation on whether United will actually make this deal permanent. Eric Ten Hag likes him, from what I understand. Sabitzer would like to join permanently. Hmm. Uh, from what I've been told, Thomas Tuchel uh, needs to have a conversation with Marcel Sabitzer. It's looking like Bayern will probably end up selling him anyway. Hmm. Uh, but my question for you, Rob, should Man United make this deal permanent in the summer? Now, we know we'll come on to another player in a little bit. But we know that United used Sabitzer and Wout Weghorst as kind of stopgap options. Sabitzer was obviously seen as an upgrade in midfield, you know, uh, considering Eriksen was out for about three months. But how would you analyze the loan spell? And do you think he's done enough? Well, look, again, I think you have to go down the path of of making sure that we don't rewrite history, especially even recent history. So like just use Veghorst there as the example here to apply to Sabitzer. So I think if Veghorst leaves tomorrow, so the season then, say United get top four, right? And Veghorst leaves. Most people will say, well, Veghorst wasn't very good, won't they? That's what that will be the kind of, that will be the wider kind of opinion about him as a player. Forgetting the fact that for 17 or 18 games, Veghorst started those matches and was a big part of your press that allowed you to win those games to get you to where you want to be. So it's all very well looking at the player individually as a profile and saying, does it fit what you need going forward so you lose them? It doesn't mean they were bad. When you look at Sabitza and you look at kind of how he's played and what he applied when he came to the football club, is that you had a player who was getting no real chances at Bayern Munich, who had a, probably a bigger and better reputation than what we saw. But yesterday, there was a lot of conjecture from people saying, oh, well, now he's had a couple of injuries that you shouldn't consider him. And isn't that the most regressive, pathetic way of looking at a footballer? Like, really? So we're going to talk about another midfielder in a minute. And again, I think this all marries up into one big thing. But I actually think that he gave United what they needed in that short term. And that's why you brought him to the football club. Um, it's a shame that he's now not here in his final games. because I think you could have used him as an alternative number 10. But do you know what, Scott? 
that might mean that Bruno plays more minutes as a number 10. It might help you that he's injured. So there are these kind of like, you know, these small givings that kind of you 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 grab hold of sometimes. Um, Sabitz is not suddenly a bad player because he's got meniscus injury. Like, that's just not the truth. Um, should United consider signing him for the correct fee? Maybe, I think so, to swell your squad. Because you still are going to need players next year, Scott, that can come off the bench or allow other players to get rest. And United are not there yet. So if you've already got a guy that you've looked at for six months and he kind of ticks a few boxes for you in terms of the management, then, yeah, you should consider him, you know, around 10 million quid. What do you get for 10 million quid in football today? You get nothing. Zero. It's almost like a free transfer. So I I think if he's available, United should definitely consider him. Um, And I wouldn't call his time at Manchester United a failure. Maybe a bit underwhelming but certainly not a failure. He was not brought to Manchester United to tear up trees. I think he did his job. I think so. And Vegos has done. Like, you know, like Vegos, it would have been nice if he could have finished a few more balls and put them in the net and we'd have all gone, oh, he's got eight, nine goals. That's fantastic. But he really did help United at a time when Cristiano left the football club and waved you all goodbye as fans and said, I don't want to be here anymore. This guy came and actually did a real hard-working job for us at the front line of the, of the pitch. And funnily enough, in the game here, where we're talking about Garnacho, Vekos came on and worked really hard in that last, like, 20 minutes of the football match. And I was a bit like, oh, I don't want Vekos on the pitch. But he actually did do a lot of the pressing work, all of that on his own again, and kind of helped United get over the line. So sometimes the spectacular is not what you get from players. Sometimes it's more groundwork. And, and those two players, I think, fit in that category. I do think though, Scott, as well, just to end on Sabitza, is that I think there's more to come from him. I do think that if you did bring him to United, he could be a much more effective all-round number 10 because that's what he was before he went to Bayern. So he can give you eight and 10 properties. But would he be your starter? No, that's that's not why you would sign someone like Sabitza. But good luck to him. Hopefully, you know, he can get over his knee injury quickly and have a good summer of recovery. And, uh, and yeah, maybe we'll see him again next year. Right. Adrian Rabio's back. Now, <laughs> this, Great. the Adrian Rabio speculation last, or it wasn't speculation, it was interest. The Adrian Rabio genuine, interest yeah. last summer came at a weird time, didn't it? It was around the Marco Arnautovic time. Mm. It was, I think it was just after the Brighton game, before the Brentford game, this kind of thing. United lost 4-0 at Brentford and it was looking like, oh my God, we're going to sign Arnautovic and Adrian Rabiot to address this issue that we have. And then they lost 4-0 to Brentford and they thought, oh no, we've got to buy Casemiro and Anthony. Uh, Now, Ten Hag, to his credit, you know, Adrian Rabiot's had a really good season at Juventus. He's probably been... There's a a Juventus fan in my team at 90 Min and he was vocally critical of Adrian Rabio prior to this season. Mm-hmm. He said the other day, I'd actually be a bit sad if he left now. <laughs> so we're in that situation. Uh, Rabio's out of contract at the end of the season. So he's got mm. just about six weeks left on his contract. Now, we know that his mother is... A nightmare. A nightmare. I was, I was going to use something nicer, but a nightmare. Um, <laughs> can be a nightmare to deal with. Rabio. Now, from what we understand at 90 Min... He's obviously exploring his options. The Euros are next summer. Mm-hmm. There's a big risk on him because he Juventus want to keep him. To be fair, I think signed point two most likely being that he extends at Juventus at the moment because he's looking at next next summer 
if he takes a risk and moves to the Premier League, which he might want to do, he'd probably get a big pay rise, this kind of thing. That's another thing. He will come with monstrous wages, I would think, especially if he's coming on a free transfer. But he takes that risk of jumping to a new club the season before a major European tournament. If it doesn't go well for him, whereas it's kind of going well at Juventus for him at the moment this season, could potentially lose his place in the France squad with all the talent that they've got. Now, United aren't the only Premier League club interested in him. But again, I'll point you to the question of, should United sign him? I'm always a bit suspicious when a player who maybe has had some up and down form over a period of years um, suddenly has a stellar season when he's playing for a contract. I mean, he's going to be a free agent. Happens all the time. And then what happens? They move on and they're not very good. So I, I think the things about Rabio is that he's not a bad player. And I remember doing plenty of shows on him in the summer about the kind of player he is. And my concern about him is that if you're aiming for Frankie De Jong, yeah, and this is the kind of player you want, like a not just generational talent, but someone that you can use multifaceted ways, then a player like Rabio means that you can only do a limited amount of things. Now, he has had a good season at Juventus. Juventus themselves not had a particularly good season, not looking bright for, for Juve as things stand, really, for me. Um, and yes, he might stay in Turin. That might be a, the kind of the, the cleverer thing to do. However, I do think at his age, that he will be coming to the Premier League. There's just no doubt about it. You're just going to make three times the amount of money that you make in Italy. It's just the truth. So I think that, you, you know, the reason you gave there about coming up to a major tournament, yes, that does enter players' minds. Uh, I don't really think it's going to enter Rabiot's mum's mind who makes these decisions. Rabiot's mum is thinking, hmm, this is why we didn't get a Manchester United because we didn't want kind of contractual issues. We wanted this free agency. This is a big thing in football now. And I do think that he'll end up in the Premier League somewhere. Now, you ask the question, should he end up at Manchester United? Um, I think if you're going to get a choice between a Rabiot on a free, but on astronomical wages for his standard of player, or maybe a Sabitzer for 10 million, on a much more defined wage structure, you know, somewhere down the line, which indicates where he is in the pecking order. I'd rather go with Sabitzer. I really, really would. Um, Rabio is a good midfielder, but does not take you from third or fourth to second or first. And I do think if Rabio comes to Manchester United, he will expect to be the first choice or maybe part of a midfield three where where he is one of the guys, you know, one of the three midfielders. A bit like Casemiro come in, you know, like we, it, we people are like, what are United going to do with him? He was coming to be the number six. That's his job. That's what he's been recruited for. Um, so I'm a little bit bit low on Rabiot. I, I would rather it didn't happen. Uh, I think there is a chance it might happen. Manchester United are interested. They've gone knocking again. Um, but I don't like the idea of the player coming to the club off the back of a good season at Juventus who are not very good. So for me, that doesn't really doesn't really work for me. I think Sabitzer, you've looked at for six months and you've actually seen some of the things he's he's good at. Yes, he's a couple of fitness issues, but that's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, it was a bit sad to see Paul Pogba the other day break down. I was watching that game and him obviously leaving the pitch in tears. But there's a reason for that, isn't it? That's why you kind of let Pogba go. You're kind of looking into the future. Uh, I kind of look into the future on Rabio, and I think I could probably see us in six months' time saying, is he good enough for the Premier League? Does he work for us? Um, I don't think that he's a Manchester United standard player if that player is supposed to be a championship caliber player. Question on their profiles. Hmm. Age-wise, <clears throat> now, 
and, and the makeup of the midfield in general. Obviously, we've got Fred, Scott McTominay's there, United probably to allow themselves a little bit more wiggle room with FFP. Hmm. There has been interest in Scott McTominay. Whether that maintains throughout the summer, it remains to be seen. But I know that United may potentially look at raising a fair bit of money for Scott McTominay's, you know, uh, Premier League homegrown, uh, proven in the league. At what level is up to you. Um, but, you know, he's he's a solid player who could probably play for a West Ham, a Leicester if they stay in the league. These kinds of teams, Newcastle have been interested in him as well, whether they maintain their interest remains to be seen, like I say. But that's Casemiro, wrong side of 30. Bruno Fernandes approaching 30. Fred approaching 30 if he's not 30 already. Christian Eriksen, wrong side of 30. Sabitzer, 30-ish. Rabio, I think it's 28. Mm. You got Kobe Manu, who's probably going to be transitioned in a similar... I would imagine the minutes that Garnacho has been getting this year, maybe you can mirror onto Manu for next season in, mm. in an ideal world, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but we know, Rob, that for me, I always said that I, I was a little bit worried about Christian Eriksen's ability deeper in the in the big games. You know, it's, it's defensive now, so it's not really there. No. Now, we both said we'd like to see him more advanced and maybe as the rotation with Bruno... Yeah, something like that. Maybe Ericsson can also play deeper in, in on other occasions. Are these the right profile of midfielders to go for, considering their age and their position? You don't need a six. I, I think needing a six is just ma- somebody who can play the six eight, right? Declan Rice, I know, is a dream world, but he can do both for me. I'm not saying yeah. that they will, but and you cost a hell of a lot of money. But they need somebody of that age profile for me who can play in six and be molded as Casemiro's long-term successor, but also play alongside Casemiro for me. That, I think that's the kind of player they should be going for. Yeah, and, and I think, again, like we, we know that like budgets are like precarious at the moment. We know that the ownership question is kind of key to all of those things, and we'll wait and see. But what I think, again, we think about player profiles and putting it towards that. When you look at someone like Scott McTominay, Scotty can give you a certain few things, but it's about the coverage, isn't it? It's about how do you kind of make sure you've got enough in certain parts of the park. Now, when you look at someone like Ericsson, I'm sure he's had to make adjustments himself to play this kind of 6-8 role for Man United. But none of us really understood at the start of the season that Man United would be playing this kind of 4-1-5 system. Like we knew that they might do a press, but we thought it'd be more like 4-3-3, like Liverpool. So like two banks and waves and playing six up the top. Now they've not done that. That's not what they've done. It's been this 4-1-5. So if we're going to stick with 4-1-5, you need players that, that can do that system and respect that system, but then also players that have got at least a little bit more in a tank to do other stuff if you want to say play 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, all these other systems that we talk about all the time that bore people to death. Well, you look at Scott McTominay, if you can go get 20 million for Scotty and then you buy Sabitzer for 10, then that works because Sabitzer is going to give you eight and 10 properties, but then you still need to go and find your six. And I think that's where you move away from this kind of trading one for another model. Like it's not about you lose McTominay, you get a six. I think what you need to do is you need to invest. You need to go and get someone. So that's why we talk about Declan Rice. But I also do think that someone like Casado is becoming more and more relevant because look what he's doing at Brighton. He's not just playing defensive roles. He's doing everything. He's playing fullback. He's playing 10 sometimes. He's going up the pitch. He's a ball carrier. He's a destroyer. He's doing absolutely everything. He is the modern box-to-box. So I think when you're looking for your next midfielder, go away from the profile 
and look at kind of the rounded value of that, what that midfielder does, because I still do believe that, yeah, like, like I think Ericsson's totally proved before the injury that he can play the six, eight in general, but then you do need something else, don't you? You can't just rely on Casemiro to be the guy making every tackle. Cause guess what happens? He gets suspended for eight games because he's putting his foot. He in got booked the other day, and I was like, "Oh God, don't!" And he did it again. <laughs> he did it again. He was like again sliding in and, and f- flicking his foot out. And you're just like, like for me, you see, he's too experienced to accept it. Like if I'm yeah. the manager, I'm literally doing the throwing cups, cups of tea at him in the dressing room like uh, Fergie used to do. You know, I was like, "What are you doing? Do not sacrifice yourself here. Be smart." So I think you do need another number six, and I think you need a rounded number six. That's why we talk Declan because Declan Rice is not just a defensive midfielder. Like he isn't. He is an eight. He can be the ten. He can score goals. He's dangerous at set pieces. Helps you at set pieces the other way. You need players that can do these things, Scott. And I think with Man United is that we don't have players that have that broad skill set. They're kind of specialists, but not specialists. And it's kind of like, uh, and it just looks a bit like poor on the eye. Fred is a perfect example. Fred, who is like the master of nothing. He can have he a great game. I thought he was good the other day. He came on and he did well. And I said, this is why I said about Vegos coming on. And like Vegos came on and did all right in the press and helped United keep the ball away from our goal. Um, and you have players and they, you need players like that. You cannot undervalue them. But someone like Fred, if Fred is your option as the 6-8, which is what the truth is today, you know, if you're not having Ericsson there, then, then you lose all your ball progress. You lose being able to spot a pass. You know, yeah, you've got a bit of energy, but, you know, I don't want that. I'd rather have a Rice or a Casado who are technically very good, also can run around, also can give you value on that end of the pitch. Um, so, yeah, I, that's the way I look at it. And, and I think that's kind of the way United have to go. So I think Casado is a really interesting prospect because I, I know that he might not leave Brighton in terms of contracts or one thing or another. But he's a player, I think, that would like a step up to a bigger club, potentially Arsenal could be any of the big clubs to tell you the truth. I think everyone would be interested in him. And I think he's the kind of player you could help build your midfield around. Whereas Casemiro isn't that, is he? Casemiro is a stopgap for now and for the immediate future. And eventually his legs are going to give up. And we know this. So start making that choice now. But you have got Kobe Manu. Kobe Manu might be the guy. You should also take advantage of Casemiro's experience with some some of these younger players. You know, there, there's a lot yeah. to pass on. He's won everything there is to win outside the know, World Cup. Do you know what this? That, but I tell you what, Scott, and I'm not going to like be contrary for the for the, for the sake of being contrary. But this is what people said about Cristiano. It's when Cristiano came to the club, isn't it good that these lads get to train with the greatest footballer of all time? Different personality, though. Massively different. But I do think that again, the premise that players, what a, a former footballer once said to me. He said, your biggest competitor is the guy you train against every day. You don't like that person all the time. You, you quite often want to put them in the stands. You want to show them. So I don't think Casemiro necessarily has come to Man United to help. You know, like you will say, if you train with good players, it is. You look at some of the old United players, like Sir Skulls and all of that. They weren't particularly lending their knowledge to people. They just weren't. They were there to win. That's what they're there for. So I think Casemiro, I, 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 like you could bring in a player to work with Casemiro, but I don't think that's where the upside is. I think the upside is that Casemiro is a really good number six and you shouldn't really hammer him into the ground and you'll get two years out of him and then wave goodbye to him and say, thanks a lot for all the work that you gave us. And then the transition comes with the light of some of Manu. I'd like to see United, say Manu and a Casado or a Manu and a Rice, that's proper midfield squad building. 
because they can then work together and develop together and get that chemistry rather than, say, working with the older guys who, who are here to win in the short term. Romeo Lavio was also relegated with Southampton at the weekend. Wasn't he? But everyone wants him now. I started, I started talking about him a few weeks ago and, everyone, and now it's like every fan base wants him. You know, Lavia's available because they've gone down. I don't know. What do you think of Lavia? Yeah, I would like him. I don't think he features too highly on United's list at the moment, no. but obviously there's things that have to happen that we're not going to talk about yet uh, <laughs> because we still don't know. Uh, talking about the ownership, we'll come to we'll come to that at a later date. Whenever the Glazers decide what the hell they're doing, we will wait and see, and we'll talk about it when we have something concrete. But I do have to jet off, Rob. So we'll we'll round it off there. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you've enjoyed today's show. We'll be back on Friday to look ahead to Bournemouth away. Who are you chatting with today, Scott? Who, uh, who, who, we, who are you going we, to have a chat have, with? Uh, we'll have uh, some Dimitar Berbatov. Mm. Uh, love hopefully it might even feature on Friday's podcast we'll see we'll see what we can do uh, hopefully but you can check 90min.com over the next few days Thursday I think we're going to be releasing the content there providing fingers crossed everything goes ahead uh, that should be later this later this morning after I record this but yes I'll ask Dib and Tarbibitov some questions and maybe you'll hear from him on this podcast later this week We'll be back Friday. Rob, thank you. Uh, reminder to subscribe wherever you get your pods. Watch us on YouTube as well, twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. Head over to the channel, like, subscribe, leave a comment for us, leave a five-star review on the audio platforms and follow us on the Twitter as well, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU for the show. Rob, thank you very much. We'll see you soon, everyone, for another Promise Land podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.